0: James' epistle is a how-to manual for Christian living. In James 1, 2-4, he wrote to us, telling us how to develop a biblical attitude towards trials. First, we must consider it pure joy when facing trials. Second, we must know that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And third, we must allow endurance to have its perfect result. Now, aside from developing a biblical attitude towards trials, how do we navigate these trials? Simply put, we need wisdom. We need wisdom to navigate the trials with strength and character. Now, some may wonder, well, why not pray for strength to endure? Or why not pray for deliverance from the trial? And while we certainly can undoubtedly pray for strength and deliverance, we must first Pray for wisdom from God, so that we will not miss God's purposes in the trial, or waste the opportunity for spiritual growth. As well, wisdom is needed to know how to persevere and how to endure. And so in James 1, 5-8, James explains to us how to obtain wisdom to navigate trials. So the first step in obtaining wisdom for trials is to ask God. Let's read James chapter 1 and verse 5. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Again, the first step in obtaining wisdom for trials is to simply ask God. Now, notice here the phrase, if any of you lacks wisdom. This is a first class conditional statement which assumes that the statement is true. As such, we can translate the term if as sense. So, what James is saying here is that since we lack wisdom, we need to ask God for wisdom. You see, wisdom does not come automatically to us, we have to seek out wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 2 make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. Proverbs chapter 4 verses 5 to 7, acquire wisdom, acquire understanding, do not forget to turn away from the words of my mouth, do not forsake her and she will guard you, love her and she will watch over you, the beginning of wisdom is this, acquire wisdom, and with all your acquiring, get understanding. Now James again employs wordplay to connect the previous pericope about trials and the current one regarding wisdom. Back in verse 4, he ended with the phrase, lacking in nothing. Now in verse 5, he begins with the phrase, if any of you lack wisdom. And that verb, lacking, lepo, means to fall short or to be deficient or destitute of something. Now the result of trials is that we will achieve spiritual maturity and as such lack nothing. Areas of weakness will have been removed and the necessary virtues for Christian living will be added. But note this, believer, that while we're going through trials, we are deficient in the area of wisdom. Now wisdom, Sophia is the ability to apply one's knowledge and experience. It is often used to describe a specific skill or ability. And much of our wisdom comes from life's experiences. For example, if a child touches a hot stove, they gain by experience the wisdom to not touch the stove. However, this type of wisdom has its limitations. It cannot help us in trials. As well, there is the wisdom of the world. But the wisdom of the world rejects God and is foolishness to God. 1 Corinthians one twenty one: The world through its wisdom did not come to know God. 1 Corinthians 3.19 For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. You see, because the wisdom of the world rejects God, it cannot help us when we're struggling with trials. James offers a different kind of wisdom, namely the wisdom of God. And wisdom is an attribute of God. Daniel 2.20 Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. God gives this wisdom, he gives his wisdom to those who fear or reverence him. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. The fear or the reverence of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So the Jewish concept of God's wisdom as demonstrated in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, is practicing righteousness in one's daily life. God's wisdom is practicing righteousness in one's daily life. Hosea 14.9 Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them but transgressors will stumble in them. So wisdom, or the practice of righteousness, means applying God's law to all areas of our life and conduct. And so, believer, do you have that type of wisdom? Are you taking God's law and applying it to your daily life and conduct? Now, wisdom is also the means of knowing sin and keeping us from sin. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 10 and 12. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you to deliver you from the way of evil. And so, believer, when we stumble into sin, guess what? we're lacking in God's wisdom, or we're not applying God's wisdom as given in his law. Other extra-biblical Jewish writings underscore the need for wisdom to endure trials. For example, Wisdom of Solomon 9.6 states, For even one who is perfect among human beings will be regarded as nothing without the wisdom that comes from you. Wisdom of Solomon 10.5 states, Wisdom also when the nations in wicked agreement had been put to confusion, recognized the righteous man and preserved him blameless before God and kept him strong in the face of his compassion for his child. Now, in addition to the Old Testament scriptures and other Jewish wisdom literature, James was also influenced by the teachings of Jesus himself from the Sermon on the Mount. Ask, and it will be given you, Matthew 7, 7. Now Jesus clarified his statement by explaining that God responds to the request of his children. He went on to say in Matthew 7:11, that if human fathers who are sinful can provide good things to their children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? And so James here is summarizing Jesus' teaching. If you lack wisdom, James says, ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given him. As Proverbs 2, 6 states, the Lord gives wisdom. But notice, my friends, we must ask. Let him ask of God. Let him ask, I tell you. It's a present tense imperative mood verb. James is not giving us a suggestion, but a command. Sadly, some of you don't ask for wisdom because you don't recognize your need for wisdom. You are wise in your own opinion. Proverbs 26 verse 12 says, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. As well, that the verb ask is in the present tense. It means not only that we are commanded, but we're to keep on asking God for wisdom. You see, friends, while we are undergoing trials, we cannot afford to lean on our own ideals, but instead we're to be asking God for wisdom to get through the trial. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your way acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Believers, we must ask God, not only for the wisdom to get through the trial, but we must ask for the wisdom we can gain from the trial. Now because God is the heavenly father, he gives us wisdom. The verb given here, didomai, is an attributive participle meaning that it describes God. In other words, God is a giving God. In fact, his greatest delight was giving the gift of his own son, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now notice here how God gives or bestows wisdom upon all who ask. He does it generously and without reproach. Generously and without reproach. The term generously, haplos, used only here in the New Testament, by the way, is literally rendered as a single eye. God gives with a single eye. It conveys the idea that God gives with a singular motive to aid the believer. As well generously means sincerely or without duplicity. Again, referring to extra-biblical literature, the Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we see this same Greek term, haplos, translated as sincerity. It states, Love righteousness, you rollers of the earth. Think of the Lord in goodness and seek him with sincerity of heart or singleness of heart because he is found by those who do not put him to the test and manifest himself to those who do not distrust him. In other words... Followers of God seek God with singleness of heart or without a duplicitous heart. Now, by stating that God gives sincerely or without duplicity says much about God's character. Our God, our Father in heaven, is a God of integrity. What he says, he will do. And if God promises to give wisdom, then, my friends, there is no doubt that he will deliver on that promise. So he gives generously. He also gives without reproach. Now reproach, onedizo, refers to defaming or disparaging someone. That God gives without reproach implies that he provides wisdom to us without finding fault with us, without berating us, and without heaping insults upon us when we pray for wisdom. See, God is not not resentful that we have to come to Him and are dependent upon Him. Our God is the master builder who delights in building up, not tearing down His children. And believers, that is a good lesson for us. We're to build up one another, not tear down one another. Are you someone who builds up your fellow believer? Or are you someone who takes every opportunity to tear down your fellow believer? Now James again confirms that God will answer. It will be given to him. Any believer who prays or petitions God for wisdom has confidence knowing that God will provide it. Proverbs 9.10 states that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In other words, petitioning God is to be done reverently and respectfully. You see, my friends, there's a vast difference between requesting and demanding. Requesting help demonstrates a humble spirit. But demanding help demonstrates a selfish and proud spirit. And quoting Proverbs 3.34 in James 4.8, James states that God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace, gives wisdom to the humble. So the first step in obtaining wisdom for trials is to ask God. The second step in obtaining wisdom for trials is to ask in faith. Let's look at verses 6 to 8. James chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. But he must ask in faith, without any doubting. For one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now the term faith here, epistis, refers to a firm persuasion or conviction in someone or something. It is confidence in God despite the situation or circumstances. Though trials test our faith, it is our faith that clings to God during the trial. Job chapter 13 and verse 15. Though he slays me, I'll hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king and said this If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. Faith is necessary to asking for wisdom because it is the only means by which We can approach God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You see, faith is believing who God is and that he rewards those who seek him. And asking God for wisdom is an example of seeking God. Are you seeking God? Are you asking for wisdom? So friends, if you're not asking God for wisdom, you're not seeking him. Now James says that the object of faith is God. Based on the statement back in verse 7, ask of God. Ask of God in faith. Again, the verb he must ask, I tell, is present tense and imperative mood. The imperative mood means that praying for wisdom again is not optional. Praying in faith is not optional. That the verb ask is present tense communicates that we are to continue persevering in prayer. Keep on asking. Again, James refers to Jesus' own teaching. Matthew 21, 21 to 22. Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, If you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Now we need to establish here that these prosperity charlatans use these verses to prop up their false teaching. They claim that health and wealth are available to anyone who has enough faith. Now, let me assure you, neither Jesus nor James taught such nonsense. Jesus is not speaking of moving a literal mountain. Instead, he's using a hyperbolic example to teach us, to teach the disciples, that those who believe in God have confidence in knowing that God can accomplish the seemingly impossible, if He wills it. The metaphor of moving a mountain provides the principle for prayer, which is this. No request is too big that God cannot answer it. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Ephesians 3 verse 20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to, to the power that works within us. And furthermore, Scripture clarifies that the phrase, all things you ask, back there in Matthew 21, is limited to those things that are according to his will. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked of him. The point is, believer, that it is God's will for us to have wisdom. Therefore, when we pray for wisdom, because it is God's will, he will deliver. Granting wisdom is not impossible for God. In fact, if you ask for it, He will give you wisdom abundantly beyond what you asked for, what you requested. Now James goes on here to clarify how to pray. Pray without any doubting. Now the verb doubting, doctrino, denotes uncertainty or dispute. The verbs here in the middle voice implying that this individual is disputing with himself or herself, ergo the idea of doubt. Hence, believer, we are to pray to God for wisdom, convinced that he will answer. But some are doubting. Now this doubting does not mean they're questioning God's existence, but instead questioning his character. They're questioning whether God can do what he has promised. Is that you? Do you question God? Whether God can deliver on his promises? You see, what God has promised is just to supply all that you and I need. Philippians 4.19 My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So if you need wisdom and trials, God is going to supply it. Now, Paul used the same verb, doubting or diacrino, in Romans 4.20 to describe Abraham's faith. He said, without respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. That word waver, same here. He did not doubt in unbelief. Now, immediately, certain individuals are going to call Paul's statement into question because Abraham doubted God's promise of a son in Genesis 17, 15 to 17. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? But we need to understand here that Paul's statement doesn't mean that Abraham never doubted Paul's point was that Abraham displayed consistency in his faith throughout his walk with God. So the phrase, ask in faith without any doubting, does not imply that God will not answer a believer's prayer if there's any measure of doubt. Undoubtedly, many of us, if not all of us, when experiencing trials, wrestle with doubts of one kind or another. But what James wants us to understand is that we ought to consistently believe or trust God and ask for the wisdom needed to endure the trial despite any doubts. And James goes on to explain what it means to ask in faith without any doubting with an illustration. He says that the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. The term surf, kludon, derives from the verb cluzo, meaning to dash or to chop. It's used in the scriptures to denote the raging of the sea or a tempest. Luke 8, 24. They came to Jesus, woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, the cludon, and they stopped and it became calm. Now, driven, an amizo, means to be impelled laterally by the wind. Tossed, rapizo, refers to being moved to and fro or being agitated. See, during a storm, the wind often blows in the opposite direction of the tide, creating an irregular motion to the waves, producing large swells. And these swells shift in size and shape depending on the strength and direction of the wind. The one who doubts is like a swell of water in a storm. They have no inner stability or fortitude of will. And as such, they are constantly agitated by outside forces. Maybe that describes you. Trials like the wind drive the mind of the one who doubts. They're tossed back and forth between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And because of that, they lack consistency in their faith or conviction and are unable to pray to God for wisdom. They don't believe God can deliver. To drive home his point, James again states in verse 7, That man ought not to expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord. Now the phrase that man or that person is derogatory language used to cast a negative view towards someone. Any believer that lacks a firm conviction that God can do what he has promised should not expect to receive any help from God. Don't expect it. If you don't believe God can deliver, then don't sit back and expect him to deliver. And by using the negative, that man, James implies that such a believer ought to know better than to ask God for help if they don't believe he can deliver. Because they doubt or question God's character, they have forfeited the blessing of his promise to give wisdom. Believer, there's a clear warning for you. Don't be a doubter. Don't doubt God's ability to keep his promise. God is ready. God is willing to grant you wisdom for trials. And all you have to do is pray, believing that God keeps his promises. Now consider the example of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 6, 13-15. For when God made the promise to Abraham... Since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Now the promise to bless Abraham, to multiply his descendants, was based on God's character. He swore by himself. The term swore, amnuo, means to invoke a divine witness. Now, 25 years passed between the giving of the promise and the start of its fulfillment with Isaac's birth. During that 25 years, Abraham patiently waited to obtain the promise. And that term, patiently waited, macro thumeo, means that he persevered, he endured through trying circumstances. My friends, when we are overwhelmed by trials or temptations, we can learn from Abraham how to, to endure and not fail. See, Abraham believed God's promise and endured for 25 years because they were interposed or guaranteed by the oath which God swore. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast as one which enters within the veil. You see, the oath of God accomplished two things. One, it served as confirmation. That is, it provided additional proof that the promise is correct. And second, the oath is an end of every dispute or controversy. God's oath, when God makes a promise, he leaves no question as to whether or not he'll keep it. Therefore, his oath serves as a legal guarantee that his promises will be kept. And furthermore, God's promises and oaths are two unchangeable things. And why are they unchangeable? Because of God's character. He cannot lie. God cannot lie because he is immutable or unchangeable. Malachi 3.16 For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. James 1.17 Every good thing and every perfect gift is coming from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Louis Burkhoff states that immutability is that perfection of God by which he is devoid of all change, not only in his being, but also in his perfections, and in his purposes, and in his promises. God's immutability guarantees that what God says he will do. He cannot lie. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will, not, will he not make it good? Psalm 110 verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And so believers, we can take refuge in the fact that God cannot lie. That term refuge there in Hebrews 6 means to flee and seek safety at a specific locale. When we are facing trials, we ought to be fleeing and seeking safety in the hopes that before us. And because God is the guarantor of his promises, we can turn to him for help. And the believer's hope is the Messiah, the anchor of our soul. He is our anchor to keep us from being overcome by doubt. To to keep us from being caught off guard by the surging of the surf or of the waves. The Messiah is sure and steadfast. He is reliable and firm, and we can go to him for refuge because he will not break under the stress or the strain of the storm. James goes on to explain why the doubting believer will not receive any wisdom from God. First, he states, doubting believers are double-minded, dispute us. The term is used nowhere else in the Greek other than James 4.8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, James coined this term to express the idea of a divided heart. Psalms 12, 2. They speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. Hosea ten two, Their heart is faithless. Their heart is duplicitous. Now they must bear their guilt. So the double-minded refers to believers with divided loyalties. Namely, the doubting believer's loyalty is split between God and the world. And as such, doubting believers fail to understand that trials are God's means of producing spiritual maturity. As James 4.8 reveals, double-mindedness is a sin of which believers must repent. Now on the one hand, they're seeking to serve God, but on the other hand, they prefer to live according to the world's ethics. And what God demands is wholehearted commitment to Him. Deuteronomy 6.5 You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Psalm 119 verse 2 How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. Jesus referred to the wholehearted commitment to God as one of the greatest commandments. Matthew twenty two thirty six 36 to 38. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. Is that you? Do you serve God with your whole heart? Do you love Him that much? Or are your loyalties divided? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, while many may think that Jesus is giving you two choices, He's not. Because, believer, the choice has already been made by God, and it involves wholehearted commitment. So if you're choosing to doubt God's character, or you're dividing your loyalty between Him and someone or something else, you're going to find your prayers, particularly in trials, unanswered. There's a great old rabbinic saying that goes like this. Let not those who wish to pray to God have two hearts, one directed to him and one to something else. The second reason the doubting believer will not receive any wisdom from God is that he's unstable in all his ways. The term unstable, akatastatos, denotes someone who is fickle lacking any stability or firmness. James is likely referring back to his illustration in verse 6 about the storm. Now the phrase, in all his ways, means all that he does. Everything this doubting believer thinks, says, or does is contradictory to someone who has a firm conviction of who God is. In other words, he is doubting God's character And is divided in his loyalties. He's not suffering. From a temporary or occasional lapse. In all his ways. Enforces the idea. That the the doubts. And divided loyalties. Is his consistent attitude. And no matter how such. An individual prays. God is not going to answer their prayer. So friends when. You lack wisdom. You must recognize your need. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't follow the wisdom of the world. I hope that's not you. Examine yourself. Are you leaning on your own understanding? Are you you following the wisdom of the world? I say what you need to do is obey Jesus and ask your Father in Heaven to provide you with the wisdom to endure the trial. God's wisdom is the means by which you and I can overcome our trials. His wisdom is the ultimate means of being like Christ. Because Christ is the embodiment of God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 24. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In his temptation by Satan, Christ resisted and persevered by drawing on divine wisdom as found in the scriptures. The very wisdom you and I need today is still found in the scriptures. As well, my friends, I would challenge you to consider what kind of life you are living. Are you living a single-minded life or a double-minded life? The double-minded life doubts God's ability to keep his word. As doubts arrive, you're, you're finding yourself overcome and overwhelmed with your inability. To the double-minded Israelites, in 1 Kings 18.21, Elijah said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. My friends, that question is still valid today. I ask you, how long are you going to hesitate between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom? Be single-minded. Single-minded means that your faith is focused on the God who is and what he has promised to do. And when doubts arise, and most assuredly they will, be single-minded and cry out, God, I do believe, help my unbelief. Mark 9, 24. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I ask and pray that you might help us to this end. We need wisdom. We need knowledge. We need understanding when we're going through these trials. And Father, I even pray right now if there's someone in a trial that struggling that lord you might come along and grant them that wisdom that you have promised we thank you that you will always deliver you always come through father if there's ever an unanswered prayer for wisdom then it's not on your part it's on ours it's because we're not believing we're not trusting we're not going in faith that you will keep your word and so father forgive us i pray father for each one listening that they might be single-minded. Yes, we all struggle with doubts to varying degrees. But in spite of those doubts, I pray, Lord, that you'd keep us singly-minded, focused on you. And that, Lord, in the midst of our belief, when those doubts come creeping in, we might cry out, Lord, help my unbelief. Give us wisdom. Help us to endure the trials. We pray in your son's matchless name, amen.